and uh, welcome to the uh, committee meeting of the planning committee uh, Tuesday January 2nd 2024 gonna have to get used to saying 2024 um, the first item on the or the next item on the agenda is approval of the minutes from the December 4th meeting do I have a motion move approval madam chairman second we have a motion and a second is there any discussion of the minutes all those in favor aye Motion, uh, Laura. Can we hear Laura? Yeah. Aye. Okay. Thank you. Um, the minutes are approved. The next item on the agenda is public comment. If you are here for public comment, you have two and a half minutes. Please state your name and address for the record and come up to the podium. Is there anyone here for public comment? Good morning. My name is Myra Richardson. My address is 2755 Earl Johnson Lane, Mount Pleasant, um, just off of Boston Girl Road. Okay. Off of Boston Girl Road. I'm here to talk about the Ida Road um, annexation, changing the ratings. Uh, the landowners that are in front of this property don't agree with anything that's happening on Ida Road. They want everything to stay the same because they will be annexing. They will also be asking for a 50-foot right-of-way through their property. This is gonna cause more flooding, taking down the trees, disturbing their peace and quietness. The Pinkneys have been on this property for 30 years and have been dealing with the same landowner for about the same time. And their property is right next to it. All those trees are gonna to have to come down if they're planning on doing anything. And the other part of it, we have not seen what the developer wants to do, we've only seen what Mr. Stone proposed that they may do or could do. And there's also property around them that we feel that they're probably gonna to try to purchase. So it will be a bigger development than what is stated right now. So if you have not seen what the developer is planning for this property, then I suggest, I recommend, and I plead with you to deny their request to change it until you have everything in place. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Is there anyone else from public comment? Good morning. I'm Kelly Hall. I live at 1522 Boston Grill, which is on the corner of Ida and Boston Grill. So I'm in front of what they're proposing to do with the property but like Myra said the traffic alone would you know the whole reason I bought this property two years ago was because it was so quiet and not so much housing you know stacked on top of each other so I feel if they are allowed to develop that into a small um, subdivision per se that it kind of ruins the whole reason you know that I bought my house so I would hope you would be able to consider everybody around this property, just the traffic, the flooding, because they will probably have to build it up, um, and the noise of traffic, because it will literally go right beside my house, down the Ida Lane. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else for public comment? Good morning. How's everybody doing? Happy New Year. My name is David Finkney, and I'm a resident on 1425 Ida Road. And I'm not going to give anybody the right away on my property to take my property, my land. I paid for the last 30 years. And another thing, I like the way out of this. We got trees and everything like that, but it, it would be too much traffic. The way out of this guy, I want this thing to be set up. So as they, so they come up my 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 driveway, I would be right in the road. If I face it back on my yard, I would be right in the, in the street the, the way how he wanted to take my property. And I haven't, ain't nobody gonna take my property like that. Okay, thank you. 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 Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you. Go right away. All right. Is there anyone else for public comment? All right. Moving on to public comment. Item number four on the agenda is review of the Planning Commission recommendations. Item 4A, a request to rezone. Good morning. Thank you. Um, this first request before you is going to be familiar. Madam Chair, move to approve. We've heard this request. Before. We have a motion to approve. Do we have, a, we have a second. Is there any further discussion? Yeah, I have a question. Um, what what amount of square footage would lots have on this with this approval? It would be community conservation. So it's the same it would, as it is in the county at S3. It's um, 12,500 square feet. Okay. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yes. Right, we have a motion to approve and a second. Is there, if there's no further discussion, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. Laura? I may not be muted. All right, I, a motion, should we just do three and then? Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. so motion passes. Um, moving on to item B. Okay, this next request is a little bit different than what the Planning Commission reviewed and recommended on. Um, this is a, a request to annex uh, 3.45 acres on Ida Road. Um, it originally came in and went to the Planning Commission with a request to come in and zone R2 single family. They have since withdrawn the R2 request and are now requesting the default zoning, which is CC Community Conservation, which is actually consistent with our comprehensive plan. So that's the change. It was recommended for denial based on the R2 zoning. Um, this is the property. It's off of Ida Road. Um, it is in the county now. It's zoned S3, which is uh, comparable to our community conservation. Uh, 12,500 square foot lots. Everything's pretty much the same, except coming into the town, they could get water and sewer. They are adjacent to community conservation, which you can see in the green, and then they back up to Hamlin Plantation, which is all planned development. And um, this is the future land use. It is all recommended for settlement community. So the the default CC zoning is appropriate, the appropriate zoning for this parcel. All right. Do we have any questions from committee, Mr. Rambo? Uh, do we have the satellite view that shows like the road and? Yeah, I have the aerial here. So it's off Ida Road. The this is just a annexation and zoning. Um, any subdivision of the property would have to come later, and that would go through the planning commission uh, for approval, and it would go through our DRT, our development review team. Um, and at that time, they would look at. Um, trees, drainage, and those sorts of things. This is just a request to annex and zone CC. Mr. Chapman, did you have questions? My question is, do we have a second Ida Road in Mount Pleasant? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, Ms. Reed, could you speak further of this? That there was a mention in public comment about a 50-foot right of way that was was that I, I I the only thing I think of is I think they're referring to is a strip of land that gives them access which is actually part of this property um, if it were to be developed so you can see it in the blue outline there's a strip that's part of the property that provides access to Ida Road if this property were developed that would be its access um, so presumably that's what was mentioned in the public comment period um, but as far as our parcel data, um, that is actually part of this property in question. I see. So there would no, there would be taking away land from anyone. Not as part of this request. No. Okay. Thank you. All right. Do we have any further questions from committee, Mr. Rambo? Um, yeah, I think I think it's just important to note that so the zoning that it currently has in the county is comparable to our community what they're conservation requesting. zoning. And yes, so they have to request for annexation in order to get water and sewer from Mount Pleasant Waterworks. Whether we as a town accept that annexation or even if we deny that annexation, that then gives them the right to get water and sewer. So if they want to develop the property according to the county's 
guidelines or according to the town's guidelines, they're going to be able to do that regardless of whether we accept the annexation or reject the annexation. Correct. If we accept the annexation, um, then they're at least uh, adherent to the town has stricter tree rules and flood protection and stuff like that than the county does. Um, mm -hmm. So it, I think being in the town provides more protection to the adjacent residents than being in the county does. So with that, I would like to move to approve. We have a motion to approve. Do we have a second? Um, I'll second for discussion. All right. We are in discussion. Mr. Chapman, do you have something to add? Why wouldn't this go back to the Planning Commission? The only reason it went to the Planning Commission, they don't review annexations, only Town Council does. It only went to them for the R2 zoning, which they recommended denial. That has been withdrawn. This is now a, a, a different request. It wouldn't have to go back to the Commission for anything. It's like any other annexation with a default zoning now. It's just a regular annexation. We don't know what they're going to do with the property. Correct. And we don't have any plans before us. Correct. But the, the issue is to bring it into the town so we can require our whatever restrictions we have uh, to better manage this property. And I agree with Councilmember Rambo. Yeah, I think um, I think Councilmember Rambo stated it very, very well. Because this is before us, regardless of what we do, this property will be developed. And it, the choice here is whether it's developed in the county or whether it's developed in the town. I think it's better to be developed in the town. So if there is there any further discussion? All those in favor of the annexation say aye. 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 All right, motion carries four to zero. Moving on to item C. Um, this is a request to rezone a property that's currently R1 to R2. Um, it is about a 0.45 acre parcel in Scanlonville. You can see it here in the aerial. Um, so this is the current zoning. Um, I'm sorry, this is the future land use map. So you can see in the surrounding area, and this is a, obviously a very, very old neighborhood with established development patterns. Um, it's all recommended for the conventional neighborhood, which R1 and R2 are appropriate for. However, if you go to the zoning map, you can see in this yellow, this is all currently R1. Um, so the Planning Commission did recommend denial of this request. They felt like that the R2 was out of place and would set a precedent in this area. For denial, Madam Chairman. We have a motion to deny. Second. We have a second for the denial. Any further discussion? Mr. Rambo? Um, yeah, with this aerial, is this a non-conforming issue at the moment? Or it's does not. what they currently have conform? So what they currently have conforms. So they have a principal structure, and then they have an approved accessory dwelling unit. Okay. Our current ordinance says that if you have an accessory dwelling unit on your property, you have to live on your property. Uh, one structure or the other must be owner-occupied. Um, it's our understanding that the owner wishes to move, maintain the residence. So what we, what we anticipate is what they would like to do is subdivide the ADU off to make it a principal structure on its own lot. You can't accomplish that under the current R1 standards. Okay. You'd have to zone it to R2. So what they probably want to do is divide it off, have the ADU be its own primary structure so they can sell one off, keep the other. Um, so there would not be any newly created lots out of this proposal, uh, presumably, but the rezoning is just not consistent. Yeah, they want to make their ADU a standalone. A primary structure. Lot. Correct. Yeah, that's not right. what an ADU is. And so the Planning Commission just had concerns about that R2 zoning, really. Okay. We have a motion. We have a second. Any further questions or discussion? The motion was to deny. The motion correct. was to deny. That is correct. All right. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. All right. Motion carries unanimously. Moving on to item D, um, extending the building permit allocation system. Planning Commission recommended approval. It did receive first reading. Um, so here it is back before you all. No changes. The Planning Commission did recommend approval as it received first reading um, as a restart five years. Um, so as of 2024, at final reading next week, it would the clock would start again. You'd have a five-year program. Any carryovers would go away. You would start with this same program where you'd have every six months, you'd have a certain number allotted for each category. 
and um, and that's how it's come before you. Again, we have the growth rate has slowed down um, since this was put in place, and um, that's really all it's before you. And just a reminder that the multifamily moratorium, which is also in place, is set to expire March 16th. Um, so once this gets final reading, this would be in place, and then again, the moratorium is set to expire in March. All right, and um, do we do we don't need a motion on this because it's already passed first reading in council and will be on the agenda for yes, ma'am, for Tuesday. So I don't think we need a motion on this. Is there any? Um, we just have the the approval from planning commission as well. Mm -hmm. Is there any um, any further discussion on this topic, Mr. Rambo? Um, I do. So um, it's kind of related. So the multifamily moratorium is set to expire in March. Yes, sir. And that would require two readings of council. If it, were, if it were to be extended, would it have to go to Planning Commission as well? I don't think so, Mr. Pagliarini. No, just it would just get... i the timeline. Yeah. Okay, I'll just, instead of waiting to... So, you know, I'd like to request that be on the next Planning Commission, Planning Committee agenda for next month. If it's on February Committee... February, March. February, I don't know if that would be in time. It might need to go on Tuesday for discussion. Okay. The primary agenda, is that... Madam Chair, we also have a retreat coming at the end of the month. Okay. And typically, we might discuss wide-ranging issues, but because time's of the essence, you could add to the retreat agenda. Okay. Okay. Mr. Randall, would that, you Yeah, that would be great. Okay. Right. Thank, Thank you, so Madam much. Chair. Thank you. Um, just want to ensure, I mean, I, um, my position on the moratorium, it's been in place since for how seven or eight years seven or eight years and a moratorium is meant to be an emergency measure but i think it's something that's worthy of discussion among broader council for um the sense of the will of council um and i just want to make sure that the timing of that the timing of that gives us an opportunity to ensure that if the council's will is to extend the moratorium that it is done prior to the expiration miss Ms. hyatt did you have something to add uh, yes, I, I thought we were going to be discussing this today because I knew of the deadline. Um, and we still, the point of having it was because we were rewriting zoning. And since that's not been completed, I'm a little concerned. I mean, it was the entire reason for us to extend it a year. And since that hasn't happened, I mean, I feel comfortable extending it until at least we pass the zoning rewrite. But I just wanted to make that statement. Thank and I hope, yeah, we will need to discuss it at, at retreat or next council meeting. Thank you. Um, any further discussion of the permit allocation system? Item D on the agenda. All right, we are done with item D. Moving on to item E, the text amendment for LDR and flood damage prevention. This next item is going to be presented by our engineer and environmental group. Uh, good morning. <coughs> good morning, madam. Uh, Madam Chair, members of the committee, uh, we have a proposed ordinance to address uh, land development and building practices to help protect surrounding property from uh, irresponsible uh, runoff. Um, this is a this is a, a two-part proposed ordinance. The first part being controlling land development practices. That's the uh, we're, what we're proposing is is requiring a ten-foot offset from the surrounding property of all subdivisions. And then the second part is the uh, no slab on uh, no slab on grade uh, building practices that would also help reduce uh, the fill and control uh, stormwater runoff on uh, on low lying uh, building practices. So uh, Miss Kate Gerling is going to present the second part of this. I'm going to handle the first part. Um, the ordinance that we are proposing is going to be a land development. Uh, regulation change under 155.051, storm drainage and flood areas under A, uh, which addresses uh, responsibilities for uh, subdividers and engineers that are proposing new subdivisions under 6F. Um, this is what is being proposed, and I'll read this very quickly. If you have any comments or would like to change this, um, please feel free, but uh, under F, What's being proposed is to safeguard against irresponsible land development practices. It shall be unlawful to place fill along the outer perimeter of any subdivided property. Altering the ground above the existing elevation in a manner to solely benefit the stormwater management of the subdivision shall be avoided. In most all cases, this practice directly impacts adjacent property by way of casting surface water onto 
or impeding the flow of surface runoff from another property. Therefore, fill or impediments to surface flow shall not be placed within 10 feet along any pre-existing perimeter lot line abutting adjacent properties. Um, like in most all ordinance cases, there are uh, extenuating circumstances where there are some exceptions, and I've listed a couple here. These could possibly be tweaked and changed as we uh, work and work with the developers and people in the area um, that are moving projects forward. But the exceptions, uh, this provides a timeline when this becomes effective at the second reading for the ordinance adoption. So anything prior to this would be exempt. Uh, the second one is internal lot lines to the subdivision conforming to a unified grading plan. That is not the lot lines that are being proposed, but um, that is the lot lines being proposed. It's it, This uh, will be exempt from uh, the 10-foot offset. Third bullet, continuation of a plan development within the same ownership as in a phased plan development. Uh, fourth one, when fill is being used to ensure positive flow through a low-lying area, without redirection of the pre-developed flow path. These are these minor undulations of the terrain that um, will, will allow Phil to be able to provide that, that linear flow path to inlets. Um, the fourth one, uh, this addresses our capital improvement road projects mainly. Um, when Phil is added to meet minimum road elevations when the design incorporate stormwater management improvements to catch roadway runoff and all off-site runoff to prevent impacts to adjacent property. Um, that is in cases of, for instance, Hungry Neck Boulevard, the extension of Hungry Neck Boulevard. Most of that road is on a field section that goes all the way to the perimeters of the right-of-way, which is adjacent to uh, property. In cases like that, uh, the designer actually has a two-system, two-part system where he designs a storm drain system for the roadway drainage itself, and then there's a secondary drainage system that's provided for the perimeter of the property. So this would be an exemption from the 10-foot uh, fill offset. So we would cover the main capital improvement projects for the town um, in those particular cases. So if there's not any comments or questions on this, I can turn this over to Ms. Gerling. Should we pause, pause at the moment? Sure. Mr. Chapman? <clears throat> Um, could you go back, uh, Kevin, to the first part of this? You want to go back? Yeah, there you go, right there. Okay, right here. No, no I, I meant, Glenn, <clears throat> what was the page before the last one you showed? Where you defined. Uh, yeah, we started with F under 6F. This is what's being proposed. Um, I'm uncomfortable, and, and I'm all in favor of doing this, with the use of the word irresponsible land development practices. I think we can say that better where we are positively recommending this as the most uh, beneficial way of doing it business. I think irresponsible probably is is not the right word. Okay. I can rework that first opening. Well, I mean, in that first clause, you could just eliminate that first clause and just say, it shall be unlawful yeah. to place fill yeah, along the exactly. avenue. I, I just think that that sentence is inappropriate. <laughs> inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's a good comment. We'll we'll address that. All right, uh, Mr. Rambo, do you have anything? Yeah. So, it's. Can you go to the exception slide again? I'm sorry. Okay. So, so really, we're talking about banning slab grade <coughs> building practices. The second part of this proposal, which Ms. Gerling is going to address, is going to be the slab on grade building practices. Okay. This addresses fill being placed all the way up to the outer perimeter of a subdivided property, essentially casting water onto adjacent property. Okay. So we don't have anything perfect. in our ordinance to directly address that. That's gotcha. what we're going to capture in this part, but Ms. Gerling is going to address the no slab. My apologies. <laughs> Understood. Thank you. So uh, the question that I had is, is, is 10, 10, I mean, I'm not the scientist in this area, 10 feet is, in, is sufficient to capture I, and 
drain the runoff and not have it go onto neighboring properties? I think so. Um, naturally, uh, an engineer is going to design any proposed subdivision to meet up with existing perimeter contours. So there's really in a design on the design itself, there really aren't any proposed fill within close proximity to the outer perimeter. What happens is uh, during the land development phase of this, uh, either through the land development or the, the vertical construction phase of projects, fill ends up getting pushed over just through virtue of uh, final grading, uh, final addressing the project, creating more backyard for proposed uh, projects and that uh, the original design doesn't really get adhered to specifically when you get later into the land development practices. That's where we're going to end up using this ordinance the most when when uh, someone goes vertical and they start building homes and they start creating their building pad and the building pad ends up going moves farther out towards the perimeter. We'll be able to refer back to this ordinance and say that you need to move this fill back off the outer perimeter at least 10 feet. Uh, allow that um, that uh, lateral flow of surface water to keep from going off on somebody else's property, but go into a swell that is planned for uh, to have an inlet. So it's more of a policing element. Then my second question is: the reason for this text amendment has must be because existing lots are engaging in this practice, and it is creating problems for neighboring lots. What do we have in place? to support our citizens who are experiencing this sort of runoff from new, from developments that have done this. Right, yes. We, we have a single family site improvement program. Where we have two inspectors. What they do is they work with the home builders currently right now. Um, and in our uh, building, building uh, application process, they review the site improvement plans prior to their they're giving a building permit and they establish a relationship, they establish communication, they also provide comments uh, for trees and extra fill that's being added to uh, single family homes and they police it at that point um, by going out to the site first and then at the very end of the site throughout the development of the process they have to, um, to maintain that um, maintain that line of communication with the developer make sure that they're not impacting <coughs> Uh, the adjacent property while they're developing the project. So we, we have a very good single-family siting program already in place. Um, it's just, uh, this is just kind of covers the second base of getting, uh, making sure that we actually can pinpoint an ordinance regulation that will control that, that if it does become a, uh, a problem. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Do we have any further questions? Madam Chairman, I have experienced issues that Mr. Mitchell's talking about yeah. and had uh, constituents call me about the fact that somebody is doing something next to them um, whereby the drainage will be uh, creating the problem <laughs> the lot. So this is really something that we need to do. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much. I think we are ready if there's nothing. Uh, Ms. Oh, Ms. Hyatt, did you have something? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I have a similar question about uh, is 10 feet enough, and um, I guess that was addressed. And we're trying to move away from all this fill in general, but I guess is this addressing the properties that are not in the low line area? Because I know we're talking about the um, particular low areas, 100 year flood areas that we're addressing with, and there's uh, slab. Building. But are these properties outside of those areas that we're addressing? Yes, ma'am. This talking about still allowing still, which we're trying to get away from. Right. That that's correct. Yes, ma'am. This this does address all property in the town of Mount Pleasant, uh, specifically uh, low lying areas. Which low lying areas does not it does specifically define you to a floodplain area. You can have a low lying area outside of a floodplain area. So this this will address every single piece of property that wants to be subdivided in the town of Mount Pleasant. Now, Ms. Gerling will present the second part of this, and and, okay. uh, and she will uh, discuss the, the no slab on grade. This just addresses the, the lot fill during land development. Okay. All right, thank you so much. I think we're ready within a second half of the comment. Yes, come on. Thank you. Ready? Hi, good morning. Um, Katie Gerling, floodplain manager. 
Um, so this is the text amendments that have gone before Planning Commission um, that they unanimously approved. It's also been before Flood Resilience Committee and the Green Commission. Um, so first portion is just adding two definitions of elevation certificate and fill to our flood ordinance. Um, and then delegating duties to the building official as well as the floodplain manager just um, within our ordinance. And then the, the meat of the changes is under general standards. So this would be all properties in that 100 year A and B zones um, applied uniformly throughout those. So in order to address increasing flood levels, flood hazards, and associated damage caused by importation of fill, the following shall apply to the 100 year floodplain. Um, the following is pretty much copy and pasted from the city of Charleston's ordinance, which is where this whole discussion stemmed from. So this is already existing ordinance language from another jurisdiction. Um, only changes adding in building diagram four, just kind of like basements. We don't really have a ton, but just um, to put that in so it's not excluded, so we don't have some sort of weird exception. Um, but it would be an effective date of July 1. So this gives us um, enough time to communicate this for people who are currently designing homes, subdivisions, um, to have that relationship with contractors. But um, the permitting of certain foundation types, so slab on grade, race slabs, um, would be prohibited for single family attached um, and detached single family dwellings in the floodplain. So it would not apply to garages, additions, conversions, substantially improved, substantially damaged, or non-residential structures. So it's really just new homes. Um, and goes off of FEMA's flood insurance program. Um, there's a manual that has these diagram numbers, basically covers slab on grade and race slabs to limit fill within the floodplain. Do we have any questions from committee, Mr. Rambo? Um, Yes. Yeah, so would this also um, be in effect for, uh, let's say there's already a slab on grade home in a 100 year area and a new owner purchases it, tears it down to build a brand new home. Would that brand new home be able to be slab on grade? That would be considered a new structure. So they would have to um, either keep that foundation structurally somehow. Um, it would not be subject to the 50% rule. So they could do an addition, they could basically gut the whole thing, but if they are completely demoing and rebuilding with a new foundation, this ordinance would apply. Okay. And what is the reasoning for it not applying to garages? Um, like attached garages, like, um, or if people are doing, um, do you want to have a slab for your garage to like pull the car in? So you'd have a slab on grade there, just the functionality of the garage. Um, if council wishes to change that, whether it would just be gravel or drive under. I was just curious as to, I guess I, as a foundation, so was it like pilings is the alternative? Like, I, I guess I don't know. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's what I was wondering. Mr. Chapman, did you have any questions? No, ma'am. We've discussed this extensively in flood resilience <laughs> committee. And um, this is, the fruits of our labor. Okay. Great. Um, do we need a recommend? I think we need a motion to recommend this for full council approval. So moved. All right. Second. We have a motion and a second. Is there any further discussion? Ms. Hyatt? Yeah. All right. All those in favor? Aye. 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 All right. Motion carries unanimously. Moving on to item five, discussion the, of Ed Before we leave this, do, do we need to make sure that that irresponsible gets changed? It will. It will. Okay. I just wanted to ask. Thank you. Moving on to item five, Edward Park's historic designation. Um, so this is discussion of Edwards Park historic designation. At their December 11th meeting, the Historic District Preservation Commission, from here on out, I'll call them HDPC, discussed Edwards Park historic designation based on community input and support of the designation. The commission did recommend that this topic be placed on your agenda. Um, as a matter of information, the property is already required to follow the design guidelines of the Old Village Historic District uh, by way of it's within the boundary. So even if you're not a historically designated property, if you're within the Old Village Historic District, you have to abide by those guidelines. 
And then further, it is zoned R2, single family residential. Um, so that limits the uses even more. Um, just a little bit of history, and I won't get into it, you know, to, to sort of um, take up your time, but really laying out the fact that it, it has been around. It does, um, there is a building there today. It actually used to be the municipal building. In 1949, the town did adopt their first zoning code. They purchased Edwards Park, that entire block. Um, in 89, Hugo flooded the park as well as that building, um, and that's when Town Hall was moved. The building was relocated, and it currently serves as a police substation. And then it was later named <clears throat> after Governor Edwards in 2014. So to determine eligibility, it, it can be a site or a structure. It has to exemplify um, either cultural, political, economic, or social. Um, heritage of the community. So I've kind of outlined um, the, uh, the, the qualifying um, categories here. So for community planning, it does qualify for that. And then it's a visual feature of the neighborhood. So really, because it's town-owned property, um, typically you have a process where the owner is notified because the commission has taken this up and wants to consider designation of it. Because the town owns it, uh, we are bringing it to the committee, um, and essentially what would happen is uh, town council would have to approve the designation of this property, and then um, once that's done, then it's approved and it's subject to that. Uh, I do have Kate here, who is sort of our expertise and staff to this commission. It really wouldn't change a whole lot as far as the use. It's used as a park. That's what we're going to continue to use it as um, in the foreseeable future. Um, again, it's it's almost basically just a, a symbol that it's historic. Um, so it's important. It's had community input. We've had some correspondence on it, and then the commission has discussed it. So they really wanted to put it on your agenda for discussion and to see if there was some interest in, in moving forward with that designation. Thank you. Do we have any um, comments from the committee or questions? My only question is, is there any negative side of doing this? I'm not aware of any, Kate. Yeah. yeah. It already has to follow the design guidelines. It's um, a formal designation of whether it's historic or not historic, what type of guidelines to follow. So it's still mm -hmm. just kind of just dot and line up to be. Yeah. No, I, I'd move to recommend that we go forward with this. There's no negative. All right. We have a motion to approve. Do we have a second? We have a second. Um, we're in discussion. I, I guess my one question is, is, is does it restrict the town, uh, this designation, as far as potential? I mean, because I think that what this rose out of was there was a mm -hmm. idea floated about converting a portion of Edwards Park into a formal dog park. And Correct. There was huge citizen outcry over it. And so I understand why the, the, there is the move to make it a historic designation. But my question is, along the lines of the negative impact, <laughs> maybe not a negative impact, but an impact as far as mm -hmm. the town's future use and of this property. Like if they wanted to put in a play structure or if they want, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Would this just leave it, preserve it as it is today? Well, all the research that the staff has done, it doesn't appear that it would prohibit a dog park. Correct. So, um, it, so I know that that concern rose out of that. Um, we couldn't find anything that would prohibit that use. Um, I know it's also planned to be a laydown yard for a future um, drainage project. It wouldn't prohibit that. So I, I'm not aware of any negative impacts, really. Um, but I, I'm going to let Kate, do you have anything to add to that? If you do, come up to the podium. So it's really just how Michelle says, um, the most prohibitive part of the old village is still the zoning and that's what prohibits the uses and so the design guidelines whether it's historic or not would really look at materials and you know that kind of thing paint color requirements for that but for the requirements for uses like parks or anything that the town does that's that's covered by zoning and so that's that's already in place but the um for like the lay down yard that would really be in the um, minor work section and wouldn't require a COA 
because it's um, an emergency procedure for, for drainage. So there are things in place in the ordinance, in the design guidelines that um, allow the town to do the necessary work to keep the, the community running. I just want to confirm, so we'll be able to do, when the town needs the lay down yard for the drainage project, we will not be prevented from doing so. Mm. Correct. Okay. All right. Is there any further discussion or questions on this designation? Or we, I, I, oh, as a follow-up on that, so the use of, so like um, Ms. Whitley mentioned, like maybe a future playground equipment or whatever, this would not impact it or would impact it? So like I would have, have to, to get additional approval. It would definitely have to get approval. Yeah, and, it would then definitely now, have to and right now it doesn't. It would. It right now it does still have to get approval. It's just not um, categorized as historic or non-historic. Uh, we're kind of going through it right now with um, Alhambra Playground. Um, it's they're all require. It's required to be reviewed, but um, it's they're looking at the materials. It's mm -hmm. not whether or not they can put the playground there or whether or not they can put a fence somewhere. It's the materials that they're going to use to put in the fence or put in the playground. And that would be the same review regardless of historic or non-historic. It's, it's more restrictive if it's historic in terms of materials. Um, you know, wood windows are required, wood siding is required for structures. But when it comes to a site for fences, um, you know, I, I don't, I think it's really all the same, actually, um, the required materials for, yeah, it's within that, the historic district. So it's going to have to get that review regardless. Okay. It's just an added layer of protection. And so we won't get a garish blue plastic, yeah. <laughs> purple plastic. It'll be wooden. It's town country, so it would need mm -hmm. to be approved by town council anyway. That's why it's like it's the, it already has the most protection that the the land would have is that an elected body has to approve it. Mm -hmm. So I, I I don't know. It seems redundant, but it's fine. Yeah. All right. So we have a motion to approve. Recommend approval to full council. We have a second. Any further discussion? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. All right, motion carries. All right, motion carries. Moving on to number six, update on the zoning code rewrite. All right. So over the last year, we um, just wrapped up with our eighth and last special meeting where we've covered every section of the code. Um, <clears throat> it's a lot. We started with zoning districts, our use regulations. Um, we put off trees. Uh, to the end because we had the community force master plan going on and we also were able to get the green commission input um, but we did do landscaping and buffers uh, we looked at um, outdoor lighting parking loading um, throughout the whole year we've looked at the hub boundaries and what came out of the comp plan is called hubs we have called mixed use center overlay districts so that is now what's called is essentially the hub um, we looked at building design, signs, a lot of time was spent on signage, um, and then all the other stuff that goes in your zoning code rewrite. And so we wrapped up December 13th with a special meeting where we, I think the two, the two things that most people are concerned about are trees and, um, and those hubs and the density. And so I wanted to kind of go through those two things a little bit with you just to let you know where we're at. And with the trees, of course, we, um, we wanted the, the, master plan to get wrapped up and as well as the green commission review so really the main concerns that we continue to hear are um, the tree removal permits the removal of quality historic trees uh, we're starting to hear more about pine trees uh, mitigation requirements and then the tree protection zone so i want to go through a few things that we are proposing for trees and for those mixed-use centers um, we did over the weekend received our final draft of the entire code for um, final review and so we're going to start moving forward with that but I want to talk about these two big things because they are they are usually the, the two things that most people are concerned with so one of the things is that uh, you know you hear us talk about trying to chase after mitigation when somebody takes down a tree legally they have they're supposed to mitigate it's really hard to go after them sometime and get and get that payment um, one of the ideas that's floated and we're really still on the fence about it is getting a deposit on mitigation so imagine you want to take down a tree 
and we say, okay, but before we're even going to remove, uh, give you a permit to remove your tree, you got to give us a deposit. And let's say your mitigation is 20,000. Uh, we may require, you know, 25% of that. We're, we're not sure yet. So the thought was, and we've been working with our attorneys and um, with actually our solicitor and trying to, because we've had some problems with ticketing and different things. So this is one of the things we were floating and trying to get that deposit. Perhaps if we, if we do that, we'll have better luck of chasing that mitigation. Um, another thought was, well, if we tell people you're, you're going to give us a big payment up front, they're going to say, you know what, never mind, we're not going to take the tree down. And then they do it illegally. Hmm. So that's one of the things we're struggling with. I've got it highlighted because we're still not sure how that's going to work. Um, so I, I put that out there. Another one is currently our, and, and again, these aren't all the changes to the trees, but these are the big ones. Um, approval of a historic tree. Uh, may require the Board of Zoning Appeals. That's what it says now. We are proposing that removal of Category 1 or 2 historic that are classified as good or fair shall be decided by the Board of Zoning Appeals. Um, the only exceptions to these would be if it's uh, a townhouse, uh, a multifamily development, or it's approved through commercial design review, or it's a subdivision through the um, Planning Commission. So this is essentially your existing single-family houses. If somebody wants to take down a historic tree, it takes the pressure off staff and it lets Boza decide if it's, a, if it's a good or fair tree, whether that tree needs to come down. So this has been a big one we keep hearing about for pine trees. Uh, so what we are proposing is currently we don't protect pines outside of protected buffers. What we are going to propose is that if it's a 24 inch or greater pine, then it would be protected. That's what we're hearing people want. So that's what uh, we are proposing. The, the question I have is, isn't the reason that pine trees are not uh, protected is that they're, they're a danger during storms for coming down and especially the older, bigger ones? Yes. Yes? <laughs> I mean, you can say yes. I, well, Do we have our, our tree person here? Our, our tree guy is here. We've got, yeah, you want to go ahead? Uh, committee. Um, yes, pines are more apt to snap um, than a lot of trees, but the, the premise behind this is that most of your, you know, a lot of the, especially the northern parts of town were planted for timber purposes, the neighborhoods, uh, Dunes West, Park West, Carolina Park, but those were, you know, of course, planted for timber purposes, so they're they're tighter and, and um, spacing and, and generally lob, uh, uh, lobly, lob lolly um, species. But uh, the premise is that if you look in areas like, you know, Hobcar or the Groves or Cooper Estates, you have a lot of um, not only long leaf, you have some big loblollies as well, but you have bigger open-grown pines that have gone through many storms that are more apt to um, sustain that. And you know, we look at how a tree grows, if they have a lot of lower limbs, well, that's where the stability of the tree comes from because it has more taper in the trunk of it. But you go out in the forested lands, um, of course, they're, they're trying to get as tall as they can, as quick as they can, so they don't develop the taper and strength in the trunk. So the premise, I mean, there'll still be some big 24 and larger trees that are out in the, in the forested areas in the northern part of town, but generally they're smaller than that. So the, the thought is to pick up, you know, 24 or whatever the number ultimately becomes, um, that those generally are going to be your bigger pines that are in the open growing areas that have already sustained, you know, many any storms and are you comfortable from a safety perspective that that 24 inches i, I just i'm worried a hurricane comes and these pines snap in half and cause harm to well yeah again when you look at you know you see the pictures of hugo all the pines snapped i mean not all of them but the vast majority of those again were timber pines that were planted in the forest for timber planted in other areas but you know again those are you you know, again, you look at the canopy, those just have a tuft at the top, so you just have a big, what's called the bowl of the tree, the, the to, you know, ground to first limb. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a lot of taper there, so again, that's where trees get their, their strength is in the taper of the trunk. So when you have limb, uh, trees that are um, structured like the ones in Cooper Estates, and, and you know, you'll see that their limbs are maybe half or more of the height of the tree. And again, you'll, you'll, you can actually see the taper in those trees, whereas a forested one that are planted tighter, um, you know, they're more 
cylindrical. Mr. Randall, did you have thanks, Sandy? Just so you know, this is not the last time you're going to see this. So this is what's coming from Planning Commission, Green Commission. Um, I just wanted to get y'all thinking about it because this is what we are hearing. Yeah, I would just like to make a request that once it comes back again yeah i do believe I, I don't know what government agency is i know i've done some research on this and they they definitely track when a big storm comes through mm -hmm. um what type of trees came down what percentage of those trees came down which are different species um and from what i saw pine mm -hmm. trees are by far um the most dangerous um but um i would like um if we can I would request more. that staff um, sure. kind of look into that information and kind of compile some of that data sure. for us um, because I think that's a very important aspect of I've lived here my whole life um, and um, I have four historic live oaks on my property that I would never <laughs> touch but if I had a 24 inch pine tree right next to my yeah. bedroom I would be taking it down yeah well, and ultimately, this is going to be town council's decision, um, yep. but this is what's coming to you all fairly soon. Right. Um, but we'll bring, we'll bring back some more numbers on that, certainly. Thanks, Eddie. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Ms. Uh, yes, Ms. Hyatt? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say I'm glad we're looking into this because I think we need to preserve more types of trees than just oaks, and there have been some very substantial old pines that have been taken out um, that withstood Hugo and I feel there should be consideration to like how close the tree is to the house that sort of thing where we can still save a few and still have it safe so I think there's more to look at than just the type of tree I mean if you don't protect them at all then they can all be taken out so that I think this is why we're wanting to look at this again all right Mr. Chapman um, Madam Chairman, I agree with Councilmember Hyatt. Um, <clears throat> during Hugo, not only pine trees came down, but lots of other trees. And there's an issue uh, what I'm going to be looking at dealing with our uh, Mount Pleasant Way of potentially taking down not only pine trees, but oak trees, which I'm not happy about. And my concern is that pine trees do have a place and there may be places where they don't but i think we need to consider all trees and the fact that they have they deal with um helping us with flood mitigation so you know we're we're telling the public to plant trees we're giving them trees to plant which we did mm -hmm. during the Children's Festival. Are we giving them pine trees? Say no. <laughs> Are we giving them pine trees? And the answer is no. <laughs> at, at any rate, my <laughs> thought is um, there, there is a place for pine trees. And mm -hmm. I, uh, I was going to ask a question about some pine trees at the senior center that have tape around them. And I'm concerned about those possibly being removed. And they certainly look bigger than 24 inches. Okay. So, so we can, I think we can move on from yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, the, the very last thing at, with the trees is right now we require, if you want to, if you're going to replant, you have to plant a four inch tree. Um, those are very difficult to find. They're difficult to install. So we, we feel like the important thing is maintaining canopy. So if we uh, change that to two and a half inch, which is comparable to surrounding municipalities, um, it'll be easier to find, easier to plant, and we'll get more um, compliance in that area. Um, the last thing is the mixed-use overlay districts. Um, these have been quite a bear to take on. The, this came right out of the hubs that the, where the comp plan recommends these areas. Uh, Planning Commission spent a lot of time on it, uh, and our consultants and their legal team, uh, as well as our legal team, has spent a lot of time on it. What's come out of it is these three mixed-use overlay districts. Um, and I'm just going to talk about these three things real quick. It's the hierarchy, the applicability, and then the residential uses and density. And so this is how it will apply uh, in these mixed-use overlay centers. You'll have the standard, if it's a, um, covered under a development agreement, that'll be top. Then you'll have a PD. Then you'll have the mixed-use overlay. And then you'll have the base zoning. Um, you think about somebody comes in and wants to change something. These overlays will automatically apply once this ordinance is adopted. 
but that doesn't mean everybody has to come in and change their use. So we had to figure out the criteria for doing that. So we came up with two. We used our current non-conforming ordinance if you're making certain improvements uh, up to 50%. If you're changing the use, so if it's a new use or a change of an existing use, and then also our design review board looks at minor versus major work for commercial projects. So if it's under $250,000, it's minor, it doesn't go to DRB. If it's over that, it's major. So those are the two criteria we use. Uh, the, the change of use and the amount of improvements, 50%, and then that monetary value. Um, we do have the three mixed-use overlays. Uh, it'll be the neighborhood mixed-use, uh, community mixed-use, and then the two redevelopment centers. Um, and the way it, it came out of the comp plan, uh, our, the legal team really struggled with how to, to put that in place. Um, the wording is, out of the, the community mixed-use, is that housing may account for 20% of the square footage of the development, and then it says workforce or senior will be required. Uh, which could be regarded as inclusionary zoning. So what came out of this whole exercise and what our consultants are finalized the draft on is you're going to have these smaller neighborhood mixed-use districts, which are, these are two examples, Pitt Street and Brickyard. These are the smallest. The only type of residential you could have in those is a live-work unit. So if I have an office or a business down below, I can live above it. Um, the next one up are the community mixed use. Two examples of that are Shellmore and Bell Hall. And the only defensible legal way that we're able to accomplish the mixed use overlays in these areas is to basically require um, a PD. So if somebody meets this criteria of the 50% or the change, they would have to come in and get a town council approved plan development. Otherwise, residential uses are prohibited um, because there's no way to accomplish what came out of the comp plan. So, and it's going to be the same thing for these redevelopment centers. Uh, we have two of them. The big one here is um, Houston Northcut. Same thing. Uh, you can't accomplish what the comp plan says without treading into inclusionary zoning and, and all these other difficult things that would be difficult to justify. So again, if somebody wants to develop uh, something that's going to include residential, they would have to come in and get a town council approved plan development. And so um, that came out of a lot of legal scrutiny. That's where we're headed. Um, planning Commission seemed good with it. And to get around the inclusionary zoning through a PD, it, it's a contract, so you can negotiate. So it's that negotiation that through town council with the developer that would hopefully get us some senior or workforce housing. And that's sort of how they've attacked it, and that's what's going to come in the final draft to you all. So that's taken a lot of work. Uh, I think we have a path forward. We do have one final draft. Uh, it's all compiled now. And I think the next thing really is to start, we're going to have our public hearing process. We've got a one final document where everybody can, you know, look at it, make changes, make recommendations. And so over the next few months, you're going to be seeing this, and we're going to be moving through the adoption process. What is the timeline on the adoption process? So Hopefully by in the next, it, once we present it, it's going to be up to town council to adopt a final draft. So, so it will be done by April? I, oh, I would hope so, yes. Absolutely. So yeah. this could potentially That's, be in place, maybe not prior to the expiration of the moratorium, but very, very close succession. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. And right. is there any further questions or thoughts on the zoning code rewrite? No. Okay. All right. Okay. Maybe I, I have another question. Oh, yes, Ms. Hyatt. Yes. Thank you. Um, so is this going to be brought to us as a committee, just as one huge document? Well, that's really up to you all. The committee, uh, I mean, commission has seen it in pieces where they Correct. can really understand it, whereas we yeah. can be like, like Congress with a thousand page document. Yeah. It's too much to read at one time to make a vote, you know, be educated decision. So I'm sure yeah. we have the commission council. And, and or just one document. I think we anticipated that. You know, the the hard work gets done at the commission workshops. I I, right. I feel like we would probably break it up into two or three sections for y'all, um, definitely for committee. 
and then for you to review it. So I do think that's best. Yeah, uh, to bring it as a whole would be would be quite a task. Um, yeah, that's too much. Okay, great. Uh, last but not least is just our annual development agreement report. Um, everything's good. We have three still, Carolina Park. Uh, the only thing with that is that the recent amendment with the three um, requirements, uh, including the development extension for two years. Liberty Hill Farms, you'll recall that recently went through an amendment too. It was extended for five years. And as part of that, the developer agreed to pay 35000 towards Mount Pleasant Way. And then last uh, is uh, Patriots Annex, and there is no progress on that um, as far as the payment in lieu of taxes. So that's all I have. Okay, okay thank you. Sorry, I was just reading that paragraph. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> thank you. Uh, any questions from committee? Ms. Hyatt? All right, there's nothing further to come before us, then we stand adjourned. Oh, thank you.